Welcome to a special edition of Roto Underworld Radio. This is the Buy High, Sell Low Show. Every year, we do one show where we fill your shopping cart at midseason with players that you should be buying high and let you know which players you can feel free to sell low. Mostly buy high, though. We're going to focus on the positive. Who's playing well? Whose value has elevated that we think will continue? And we'll start with the quarterbacks. Tom Brady. Sounds obvious. Tom Brady's great. He's not merely great. He's the best quarterback of all time. In week eight against Buffalo, Tom Brady, just another 300-yard game with four touchdowns. That's what he does. If Tom Brady doesn't give you 300 yards and three touchdowns, you're incredibly disappointed. I mean, that's the standard he's set for himself. You expect 300 yards and three touchdowns, and you're hopeful for 400 yards and four to five touchdowns. Maybe, maybe he'll sneak in a touchdown from the one. Oh, that's the best. But Tom Brady did something in week eight against Buffalo that I can't recall a quarterback ever doing. He completed a touchdown pass to four different white wide receivers. We talked about this on the Sonic Truth Pod with Nate Liss during the offseason, that the Patriots' offense doesn't run a three-wide receiver set. Oh, no. They don't go three-wide. They go three-white. Edelman, Amendola, and Hogan, all white. When was the last time an NFL team started three white-wide receivers? The Patriots' wide receivers don't have the WR designation. It's WWR. So for Tom Brady to start this season with 400 yards, 376 yards, 222 yards, and 315 yards, and 12 touchdowns in four games with all white wide receivers, that is stunning. Contact the show, rotounderworld at gmail.com, or tweet us at rotounderworld. When was the last time a quarterback completed four touchdowns to four different WWRs? Do you have to go back to the 70s, the 60s, the 50s, the 40s? I don't know. It was likely before I was born that that happened. That's how great Tom Brady is. The best quarterback in the history of the NFL. I would argue the best player in NFL history. Better than Jerry Rice, better than Lawrence Taylor, and absolutely better than any player to ever play the quarterback position in the National Football League. Tom Brady is the best ever, and you should trade for him now. In his age 39 season, you should be trading for him. That's amazing. Even though he's second in the league in fantasy points per game for quarterbacks, you should still be aggressively trying to acquire him. He can help you win your fantasy league, unlike almost any other player in the league. The quarterback position is less valuable because there are so many replacement-level quarterbacks that produce on a weekly basis, particularly if you look at the matchups before streaming. You can find, like last week, a Colin Kaepernick who's going to give you well over 20 fantasy points. So there's very little incentive to trade for a quarterback unless the quarterback you're getting can win you weeks with 400-yard, five-touchdown performances, and that's what Tom Brady can do at age 39! Throwing to all white wide receivers. Think about that. Think about that. Think about how crazy that is. It's crazy. And Matt Ryan is another quarterback you should be trading for right now. Matt Ryan started the season hot and you should have traded for him after week one. You should have traded for him after week two. You should have traded for him after week three. You shouldn't have been selling high on Matt Ryan. You should have been buying high. Buy low, sell high is out. Buy high, sell low, 
is the more rational approach to trading in fantasy football because if a player establishes himself as a productive player early in the season because of his situation and how the coaches are using him and his health and his supporting cast and those things are clicking together, things are falling into place, and someone like Matt Ryan starts the season with 22 fantasy points, 26 fantasy points, there's no reason to think that's not going to continue. Everyone believes that Matt Ryan is an above-average quarterback. Before last year, Matt Ryan was a perennial QB1 in fantasy. That's who he is. 2015 was an outlier for Matt Ryan. That became apparent after a couple weeks of the 2016 season, and that's when you buy him. The best time to buy Matt Ryan this year was after week three when he posted a mere 240 yards and two touchdowns against New Orleans. Most fantasy experts had Matt Ryan projected for more than 20 fantasy points against New Orleans. He technically underperformed in week three, so that's when you should have struck. That's when you should have sealed the deal to get Matt Ryan on your fantasy team. And if you didn't, and you watched him go out and post 36.5 fantasy points against Carolina, oh well, you still try to get him. Buy high, buy high, because what did he do in week nine? Against Tampa Bay, way, way back, Thursday night football, 344 yards and four touchdowns, 10 yards per attempt. He's incredibly efficient and productive, and that's not going to change. Fantasy teams led by Tom Brady and Matt Ryan are going to win a lot of championships this year. But you can also win a fantasy championship by streaming Colin Kaepernick. We recommended streaming Colin Kaepernick last week, as a lot of people did. That wasn't an original thought. Colin Kaepernick against New Orleans in what was going to be a high-scoring game was one of the more obvious plays of Week 9. And sure enough, Colin Kaepernick, 398 yards, two touchdowns, and 23 rushing yards. We had Colin Kaepernick as the quarterback in both the DraftKings and FanDuel number one cash game lineups. And check out our DFS Genius Week 10 lineups later in the week. Playerprofiler.com forward slash optimal dash lineup. Colin Kaepernick breaks off a long run. woo Melts our face with fantasy points. So we'll be continuing to stream Colin Kaepernick when the matchup is right. And we'll be streaming Jameis Winston when the matchup is right. Because Jameis Winston is a streaky gunslinger. And when he gets on a roll, he ends up with a great game. Last week, 261 yards, three touchdowns. Mike Glennon came in, added 75 yards, and another touchdown. So it could have been even better for Jameis Winston. And Jameis Winston faces the New Orleans Saints in week 14 and week 16 So he'll get the Saints for two separate weeks during the fantasy playoffs. So for that reason, I'm buying Jameis Winston. Colin Kaepernick is a bad quarterback in real life. He has a very difficult time reading defenses. He's not particularly accurate. He lost his job to Blaine Gabbert for a reason. Isn't that the indictment of all time for a quarterback? To have lost your job to Blaine Gabbert? You can't come back from that. It's not possible for you to develop new skills and capabilities in the years after being benched for Blaine Gabbert. It's not possible. You can't come back from that. You are permanently entrenched as a below-replacement quarterback the moment you lose your job to Blaine Gabbert. That's just how it works. 
But that doesn't mean you can't be a great fantasy asset. And last week, Colin Kaepernick was that. Jameis Winston has been incredibly inaccurate this year. No one is arguing that Jameis Winston is helping his team win games. No. 58.8 completion percentage is 28th in the league. His deep ball completion percentage, 23.5. That's 27th in the league. Jameis Winston has demonstrated a scattershot arm, particularly on the deep ball. Jameis Winston looks incompetent trying to hit wide receivers on deep routes. Meanwhile, Drew Brees is dropping it in the bucket to Michael Thomas for a touchdown from 25 yards out. That's the difference. Jameis Winston needs Mike Evans to make a one-handed catch while the defender kamikazes into his chest. Without Mike Evans, who knows what Jameis Winston's deep ball completion percentage would be. Likely league bottom. But that doesn't mean he can't help you win a fantasy championship in the playoffs facing New Orleans in week 14 and week 16. And finally, Derek Carr. Now is the time to get Derek Carr. And a month ago, it was time to get Derek Carr. And a month before that was the time to get Derek Carr. At no point does the window close on any player. Their price just continues to rise and you have to make a decision about your willingness to pay. Is David Carr going to give you production that meets or exceeds his price tag? The answer has been yes all season. He's top 10 in completion percentage, top 10 in air yards. 48.5%, number six in the league in deep ball completion percentage, and 43.0%, number six in the league in pressured completion percentage. So when there's pressure, Derek Carr stands tall in the pocket, and he launches the ball downfield, and he completes passes. Is a 17-3 to touchdown-to-interception ratio sustainable? No, but a 20.2 fantasy points per game, number seven in the league, is absolutely sustainable. And Derek Carr isn't even running the ball as much as he was last year. Derek Carr is fast. He runs a 4.6940. That's faster than the number of running backs. So if he decides he wants to run the ball at times, he can. I'm surprised Derek Carr doesn't have a couple rushing touchdowns yet this year. But he will. They're coming. Because Derek Carr is a well-above-average scrambler, and he's simply an elite thrower of the football at the NFL level, where you often face pressure, and you have to complete passes downfield in order to break through and become a special quarterback. The replacement-level quarterback around the league, think Alex Smith, think Ryan Tannehill, they can complete the short pass. What separates the replacement-level quarterbacks from the great quarterbacks is the ability to push the ball downfield with accuracy. Derek Carr already has more than 30 deep ball attempts, and he's completing them at a high rate. And like Mike Evans is helping Jameis Winston, certainly Amari Cooper and Michael Crabtree are making Derek Carr's life easier. Everything is clicking into place for Derek Carr. The offensive line is number one on playerprofiler.com in pass blocking efficiency. The offensive line is not letting defensive linemen touch Derek Carr. And when he is pressured, he's completing it. So Derek Carr has time to throw, and he has one of the best wide receiver tandems in the league. And beyond that, Derek Carr's defense isn't very good. The Oakland defense is near the bottom of the league in points allowed. They have to throw the ball to win games. They have to. They have to rely on the offense to win them games because the defense isn't up to the task. This is the perfect scenario for a quarterback to have success. Every external force is working in Derek Carr's favor. And the people in Houston have to be looking at Derek Carr and slapping their forehead as they watch Brock Osweiler be the opposite of Derek Carr. Taking sacks, not pushing the ball downfield, 
And when he does, he's inaccurate and he's mistake prone and he's fumbling the football. But Houston could have had Derek Carr two years ago. He was sitting there at the top of the second round. Derek Carr was there for the Houston Texans. They needed a quarterback desperately at the time. And he was there. It was He was the clear choice. Any rational GM would have pushed the button on Derek Carr and pushed it quickly. But the Texans didn't do that. The night before, the Vikings traded up for the last pick in the first round to steal Teddy Bridgewater. That's what they thought. But the Vikings shouldn't have drafted Teddy Bridgewater. They should have drafted Derek Carr. Derek Carr is a better quarterback at the NFL level than Teddy Bridgewater. Both were phenomenal, prolific college quarterbacks. But because Derek Carr has the arm strength that Teddy Bridgewater lacks... I believe Derek Carr is and will continue to be the better NFL quarterback even once Teddy Bridgewater's knee has been rehabilitated to full health. But sitting on the first pick in the second round, the Houston Texans could simply let the Minnesota Vikings trade up and make their quarterback decision for them. If they had Derek Carr and Teddy Bridgewater close, no problem. Minnesota will take Teddy Bridgewater. That leaves you with Derek Carr. They just made a hard decision easy for you. But here's the problem. I'm looking at Derek Carr right now, and he's wearing an Oakland Raiders jersey. Why is Derek Carr wearing an Oakland Raiders jersey and not a Houston Texans jersey? Why? What happened? The Houston Texans drafted Xavier Suafilo, a guard from UCLA, with the first pick in the second round. And then a couple picks later, the Oakland Raiders selected Derek Carr. But it wasn't just the Houston Texans that blew it. The Cleveland Browns also needed a quarterback that year. And they selected Joel Betonio, an offensive tackle. Looked like a great pick. If the team had a quarterback at the time, but they didn't. Houston's quarterback situation at the time was even more desperate, though. And you know why they didn't take Derek Carr? The reason that was stated publicly by the public relations people with the Houston Texans was as follows. The Houston Texans passed on Derek Carr specifically because they were afraid of fan backlash in the wake of Derek Carr's brother, David Carr, washing out with the Texans years earlier. (gasps) What? Since when do NFL teams allow the fan base to make their selections for them? If you're going to pass on a player because you're afraid what the fans are going to think, you might as well just post a poll and allow your season ticket holders to vote on who you're going to draft. If you're going to relinquish your responsibility as a general manager and turn over player personnel to the fan base, why not? That's what they did. They allowed a perceived irrational superstition in their fan base to drive their draft day decision-making. By passing on Derek Carr, in essence, they were pandering to a perceived superstition and a perceived ignorance of genetics in their fan base. Just because two players are brothers doesn't mean they're wired in the same way as quarterbacks. Doesn't mean their skill sets are the same. They could be very different. Look at the Manning brothers. I understand two Mannings, one deserving, one undeserving, are headed to the Hall of Fame, but they have a third brother named Cooper Manning. Cooper Manning is the counterfactual to Derek Carr. If you're going to pass on Derek Carr because he's too similar to David Carr, then by that logic, you must draft Cooper Manning with the first overall pick if you're the Houston Texans. This is so stupid! It's just stupid! It's genetic ignorance! But it's not even the genetic ignorance of the player personnel department for the Houston Texans. It's the Houston Texans' perceived genetic ignorance and perceived superstition of their fan base 
and a complete dereliction of duty on draft day. Even if drafting Derek Carr would create an uproar, blogs would be written, critical newspaper columns, scathing emails would be sent to the ticket office. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, the horror! So what? Catering to a perceived ignorance, projected reaction of a fan base is what incompetence looks like among your leaders. And the player personnel department in San Diego was criticized one year later for drafting Melvin Gordon. But as it turns out, Melvin Gordon is a hell of a player. Melvin Gordon could be a generational talent. We're not sure what Melvin Gordon is yet. It's difficult to judge Melvin Gordon when he's running behind a subpar offensive line. The run-blocking efficiency grade for the San Diego Chargers is outside the top 15 on playerprofiler.com. And yet, Melvin Gordon's production premium is plus 1.0. He's top 30 in the league in breakaway run rate, and he's top 40 in yards per touch. He's not an inefficient runner. You keep hearing, oh, his yards per carry, his yards per carry, his yards per carry is low, his yards per carry is low, his yards per carry is low. Sure. In a small sample size at the beginning of the season, Melvin Gordon's yards per carry was well below four. What is it now, though? As the sample size has grown, his yards per carry has risen to 4.0, slightly below average. His yards per touch, slightly above average. Okay, what's his fantasy points per game? 21.9, number two in the league. This isn't a surprise. Upper percentile workout metrics across the board for Melvin Gordon to go along with one of the most prolific running back college careers of all time. His best comparable player is Matt Forte. That's a compliment. Melvin Gordon is great. Melvin Gordon has been a buy-high candidate all season. After week one, 17.7 fantasy points. Bye. After week two, 21 fantasy points. Bye. After week three, 17.8 fantasy points. Bye. After 24.9 points in week four. Bye. After 14.7 points in week five. Bye. After 9.4 fantasy points in week six. Bye. After 36.1 points in week seven. Bye. After 19.5 points in week eight. Bye. After 36.1 points in week nine. Bye. Bye, 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 Melvin Gordon. And last week, you should have also been buying Mark Ingram. Now, I disagree with my friend, Real Talk Raph, on Twitter about Mark Ingram. These are the dog days of the season, and I'm easily agitated on Twitter. I've noticed that I have a more condescending tone on Twitter lately, and I believe it's because it's November 8th. It's been a long year. There's still eight weeks to go, and I'm tired. I'm tired and I'm cranky. And it manifests in a condescending attitude on social media. That's on me. I have to fix my tone on social media. Last week, I pinned Real Talk Raf down. I said, you've named yourself Rafstradamus. And being the cranky pants that I was, I said, you've named yourself Rafstradamus. Give us a prediction. Show us your predictive powers. Mark Ingram or Tim Hightower. And he wouldn't answer. He just kept writing back, I like Tim Hightower this week. I think he's a value. And I wrote back, Tim Hightower or Mark Ingram? And he wrote back, I already said already, I like Tim Hightower. I'm a, you're not giving me a definitive answer. So let me do this another way. I'm benching Mark Ingram to play Tim Hightower. You let me know if I'm making a mistake. I won't force you to come out on social media with a precise projection, putting you on the record that you like Tim Hightower more than you like Mark Ingram. Because someone could find this later and mock you for being wrong. That's the last thing we want to do on social media is be wrong. 
You can't post definitive opinions like Stephon Diggs is a WR1 in fantasy. You can't do that. Even though right now Stephon Diggs is a number one wide receiver in fantasy and he's another player you should be buying high on. You should have bought high on Stephon Diggs after his 30-plus point week earlier in the season and you should be buying high on Stephon Diggs after consecutive 20-plus point performances the last two weeks. Every week of the season was another opportunity to try to acquire Stephon Diggs, who I believe is a WR1 in fantasy. He's not a WR2 with upside, some meaningless fantasy gibberish designation. No, I think he's a WR1. Give me a prediction with definitive certainty. It's okay if you're wrong. Nothing bad will happen to you if you're wrong. Everybody is running scared, including the guy whose Twitter handle is at RealTalkRaf, and he calls himself Rafstradamus, and yet even he was terrified to state flatly, you should start Tim Hightower and bench Mark Ingram. We had to go through one of these tedious, correct me if I'm wrong, wink, wink exercises. But as I mentioned, I've been cranky. My goal was to embarrass the guy who calls himself Rafstradamus for no reason. Just felt like embarrassing him. Because what happened? Yes, Tim Hightower posted more than 10 fantasy points. He did. Because Tim Hightower received significant volume against the San Francisco run defense. But Tim Hightower only posted 87 rushing yards on 23 carries. 3.8 yards per carry for a running back against the San Francisco run defense? That's an atrocity. That's the worst 80-plus yard rushing performance in the history of the NFL because the San Francisco 49ers have arguably the worst run defense in the history of the league. Earlier in the season, they were on par with the 85 Houston Oilers, an infamously inept run defense. Now they're worse than the 85 Oilers. I don't know if there's a run defense in the history of the NFL that's ever been worse than the San Francisco 49ers of today. Contact the show at Roto Underworld. Email us, rotounderworld at gmail.com. Does a worse defense than the San Francisco 49ers exist in the NFL archives? I don't think there is one. So playing Tim Hightower over Mark Ingram was a mistake because Mark Ingram posted 158 yards on less carries, 10.5 yards per carry. And he also caught a touchdown leaking out of the backfield in the red zone. Mark Ingram was benched in week eight. He came back in week nine and he made the absolute most out of his opportunities. And he won his job back. That's impressive. And he proved real talk Raf wrong. Podfather won, Rastradamus zero. You can't name yourself an homage to Nostradamus because no one can predict the future. It's football. Maybe the front office personnel of the Houston Texans, maybe they enjoy the psychic, superstitious, lowest common denominator sports analysis. Most people don't. When you position yourself as a fortune teller in the fantasy football industry, you become no different than those sportsbook experts with their locks of the week. And not only does it hurt your credibility, it diminishes the credibility of the entire industry. The sportsbook industry is necessarily damaged by the hack marketing gimmicks used by those in the sports gambling profession. Now at Roto Underworld and PlayerProfiler.com, we don't have any locks of the week, but we do send our concierge clients an email every Friday with our plays of the week. 
Great value plays for DFS, great streaming options for season-long leagues. And last week, we had Melvin Gordon in the top six, and we had Mark Ingram in the top 12. Melvin Gordon was in the top six because he's a phenomenal talent facing a stout run defense, and it doesn't matter because he's matchup-proof. Mark Ingram was in the top 12 because he's just a dude guy facing the worst run defense maybe in the history of the NFL. Depending on the situation, the dude guy running backs can be RB1s in fantasy. We talk about this all the time. This has been a perpetual theme running through the show all season. Which dude guy running backs do you buy on situation alone? One of them is Latavius Murray. Latavius Murray is a buy after a three-touchdown performance in Week 9. Yes, he's a buy. He's not a sell. You'll read elsewhere that he's a sell. Because his snap share is hovering around 50%. And if your snap share is around 50%, that means you're not a proper workhorse. You're not a true bell cow. You're in a committee. If a committee back scores three touchdowns, sell! After Tevin Coleman scored three touchdowns, we were not selling. We were buying. And then he pulled his hamstring. But like we were buying Tevin Coleman after his three touchdown performance, we're also buying Latavius Murray. Because zoom out on Latavius Murray. And you'll see a player that's in a phenomenal situation that keeps getting better. He's tethered to Derek Carr, a young quarterback who is ascending to elite status very quickly. Marcus Mariota's ascension has been uneven. Jameis Winston's ascension hasn't happened because he continues to throw the ball 10 yards over his receiver's heads. We thought Carson Wentz was ascending, but Carson Wentz has continued to regress every single week since. Derek Carr is our only hope. Blake Bortles is done. Blake Bortles can't play. You're still streaming Blake Bortles when the matchup is right, just like you're streaming Colin Kaepernick and Jameis Winston. But we know now that Blake Bortles cannot elevate an NFL team, and the Jacksonville Jaguars are absolutely in quarterback purgatory at this very moment. Teddy Bridgewater's knee was snapped in half. Derek Carr is it. And his primary running back is Latavius Murray, and that matters a lot. Because Latavius Murray only has 10 red zone carries. That's 34th in the league. That's going to go up. His touchdowns are going up. Latavius Murray will finish the season with double-digit touchdowns because he's the primary back for the Oakland Raiders, and they score a lot of points. You want your running backs that are operating in hyper-efficient offenses. And since Latavius Murray returned from turf toe in week six, his opportunity share has hovered around 55%. Just because you're part of a committee doesn't mean you're doomed. Most running backs are part of committees. Only a handful of running backs are not in committees. Melvin Gordon's not in a committee. David Johnson's not in a committee. Todd Gurley's not in a committee yet. Ezekiel Elliott's technically in a committee with Alfred Morris, but not really. So there's very few running backs that are not in committees. And committee running backs like Tevin Coleman and Devontae Freeman can be incredibly productive in the right situation. And the Oakland Raiders are the right situation. An ascending quarterback with an elite offensive line scoring a lot of points. This is what you want. This is not a player in a situation you sell. This is a player in a situation you buy. Even if Latavius Murray isn't a special talent. No one's saying he's special. Just like Mark Ingram. Latavius Murray is an average NFL running back in a great situation. That's very different from Lamar Miller. But the consensus is Latavius Murray is a sell-high candidate and Lamar Miller is a buy-low. That's wrong. All of that is wrong. Latavius Murray is a buy-high. Lamar Miller is a sell-low. Because Lamar Miller is a trap. And the trap will be sprung by his schedule. You'll see a number of fantasy analysts 
buying Lamar Miller's schedule. Lamar Miller's upcoming matchups are as follows. Jacksonville, Oakland, San Diego, Green Bay, Indianapolis, Jacksonville, Cincinnati, Tennessee. Tennessee doesn't count. That's week 17. Now that sounds like a very juicy schedule. You hear Jacksonville, ooh, you hear Indianapolis, ooh, shivers run down your spine. But when you look at the advanced metrics on those defenses, it's not the great schedule that it's being sold to be. There's two problems with this schedule. Number one, four out of the next five games are on the road. You think Lamar Miller has a hard time getting red zone carries at home? How many red zone carries is Lamar Miller going to get on the road? Spoiler alert, very few. Now the probabilities say that his touchdowns are supposed to regress. He should have five touchdowns instead of three touchdowns given his yardage total. Well, that's assuming that Lamar Miller can break a long run, but he's not able to do that this year. I don't know why. His breakaway run rate on playerprofiler.com, 2.6%. That's 59th in the league. Like Todd Gurley in 2015, you can score touchdowns as the primary running back in an inefficient offense if you're able to execute long runs. And regardless of the schedule, if you're buying Lamar Miller, you're counting on his ability to break long touchdowns, and I'm not counting on that. I'm just not. Four out of his next five matchups are on the road. His one home game is against San Diego. Now, San Diego is absolutely a friendly matchup for a running back. San Diego gives up 30.3 fantasy points per game to opposing running backs. That's number three in the NFL. It's also more than three fantasy points less than San Francisco. San Francisco has allowed 1,386 yards and 12 touchdowns to opposing running backs. Let that sink in for a second. If you're a running back getting all the carries facing San Francisco for eight games, you're posting close to a 1,400-yard season and 12 touchdowns. You're an RB1 in fantasy just in eight games. It only takes eight games facing San Francisco to become a top five running back in fantasy football. That's all it would take. That's how bad the 49ers run defense is. San Diego's not that bad. San Diego's yards allowed is less than half of San Francisco's. San Diego is 21st in the league in yards allowed to running backs. So while that is a friendly defense and they have allowed significant receptions and receiving yards to opposing running backs, they're not allowing rushing yards. And Lamar Miller is not particularly active out of the backfield. He's not a great route running running back, never has been. Lamar Miller is averaging less than three receptions per game. For a running back who's receiving a 74% snap share to receive only 2.8 receptions per game, that's a strong indicator that this player is simply not a good receiver and not effective in space. If he was, they would use him more in that phase of the game, but they don't because he's not. So Lamar Miller's matchup against the San Diego Chargers isn't as good as it looks, also because game flow will likely be working against the Houston Texans in that game. San Diego has been hugely unlucky this year. That is a good football team. They should have more wins than they do. If you think Lamar Miller's low touchdown total is the product of random chance, look at San Diego's win-loss record. So Lamar Miller's soft schedule is fake. Everything about Lamar Miller is fake. He's a fake bell cow with a fake soft schedule. Jacksonville's only allowed 747 total yards to running backs this year. That's middle of the pack. Their fantasy points allowed to running backs, middle of the pack. And Green Bay has been the most stout run defense against opposing running backs in the entire NFL. So forget week 13. Lamar Miller will not be startable in week 13 against Green Bay. Every external force will be working against Lamar Miller on the road at Green Bay in week 13. Then he goes on the road again to face Indianapolis. Indianapolis is outside the top 10 in fantasy points allowed to running backs. 
So they're not as bad as their damaged run defense brand suggests. And then in the fantasy Super Bowl, Lamar Miller faces the Cincinnati Bengals. That's not a soft run defense either. This is why I don't buy schedules, because most of the time you look at a schedule and the analyst does an eye test on the schedule, doesn't actually do the math on the precise yardage allowed and fantasy points allowed for each defense. Just looks at a defense and goes, oh, that's a tough defense. Oh, that's an easy defense. It's a binary labeling system and a one plus zero, one plus zero, one plus zero calculation when examining the upcoming schedule. You see that so often. Remember, Latavius Murray's schedule is supposed to be so hard. One of the reasons why Latavius Murray's second half schedule was thought to be so difficult was because in week nine, he faced the Denver Broncos. Oh no, death. Except the Denver Broncos are not necessarily a stout run defense. It's a fallacy. The Broncos have by far and away the best pass defense. And an average run defense. You saw what Latavius Murray does to average run defenses. In recent weeks, since he returned from the turf toe injury, Latavius Murray has been more productive, regardless of the defense he's facing, than Lamar Miller. And the beauty of it is, this is a one-for-one comparison because Lamar Miller's best comparable player on playerprofiler.com is Latavius Murray. And Latavius Murray's best comparable player on playerprofiler.com is Lamar Miller. These are very similar players. They lack nuance. They're fast, straight-ahead downfield runners who don't have a lot of wiggle in the backfield and are not nifty in space. That's not what Lamar Miller and Latavius Murray are. These are home run hitters that are at their best when given lanes to run through. If there's a hole to be hit, Lamar Miller and Latavius Murray can hit that hole fast and get the most out of it. It's why you play them. That's why you give them the ball. Because when given daylight, they exploit it. But Latavius Murray has been exploiting it more than Lamar Miller this year. And they're equivalent receivers. They've both posted precisely 2.8 receptions per game. The difference is Latavius Murray has been more efficient. Plus 16.2 production premium compared to Lamar Miller's negative 14.6 production premium. Latavius Murray's tethered to Derek Carr. Lamar Miller's tethered to Brock Osweiler. Who would you rather have? I would rather have Latavius Murray. But if you sat down with a fantasy analyst and said, let's examine my roster, odds are they'd recommend buying Lamar Miller and selling Latavius Murray, and I would say do the opposite. I know you're expecting positive touchdown regression for Lamar Miller. It should happen. The math says it should happen, but the math does not understand how bad Brock Osweiler is. It's difficult to experience a positive regression of anything when Brock Osweiler is your quarterback. Ask DeAndre Hopkins! And I mentioned the concierge newsletter earlier. Go to playerprofiler.com forward slash concierge and sign up for personal team advice from me. And in the plays of the week email we send on Friday that was headlined by Mark Ingram, in the email I said that starting Tim Hightower over Mark Ingram was the sucker play of the week. I was wrong. It wasn't the sucker play of the week. The sucker play of the week was playing Randall Cobb. Just because a player is active doesn't mean you have to play him. So our first recommendation was, please don't bench Mark Ingram. Even if those with crystal balls are telling you Tim Hightower will have a better game. Our second recommendation was, play Dwan Harris. And you should be following me on Twitter as well, at Fantasy underscore Mansion, because on Sunday morning, I tweeted out, feel free to pivot off of Sharkhandrick West over to Dwan Harris. On DraftKings, that would have saved you over $1,000 in salary that you could have then used to upgrade your wide receiver. 
Maybe you upgraded your least expensive wide receiver to Michael Thomas. Michael Thomas, another buy-high candidate. Why would you sell Michael Thomas at this point? He's breaking out all over the place. Two years ago, was it a good idea to sell Odell Beckham Jr. after week nine? No. If you were fortunate enough to pick up Odell Beckham Jr. on the waiver wire in 2014, you just kept playing him and enjoying the production and winning your championship with him. That was the move. The same thing for Michael Thomas. You continue to play Michael Thomas. Like Stephon Diggs, Michael Thomas also a wide receiver one in fantasy and someone you should be buying, not selling. His target share has been creeping up every week. 10%, 12%, 14%, 16%, now 18.4%, top 50 in the league. His hog rate, the metric on player profiler that measures targets per snap, Michael Thomas's hog rate, 15.9%. That's 26th in the league. So when Michael Thomas is on the field, Drew Brees is looking for him and he's converting 100% contested catch rate and a 74% overall catch rate. That's sixth in the league. His red zone catch rate is 66.7. Michael Thomas has been one of the most efficient wide receivers in the league by every measure. Production premium plus 27.8, top 10 in the league in situation independent efficiency. When you measure Michael Thomas's per target production on any given down and distance, He's outperforming all but a handful of wide receivers in the NFL. And just like you're buying Latavius Murray because he's tethered to Derek Carr, you're buying Michael Thomas because he's tethered to Drew Brees. These are situations you want to be buying into. If you find yourself owning a player who happens to be in a disappointing situation and his fantasy output is suffering, sell him. Sell low on DeAndre Hopkins. Sell low on Lamar Miller. Sell low on Jordan Matthews. Sell low on Ryan Matthews. Sell low on Jarvis Landry. Sell low on Devontae Parker. If you're tethered to Brock Osweiler and you're tethered to Carson Wentz and you're tethered to Ryan Tannehill, it's much more difficult to score fantasy points. If a running back's offense is inefficient, you can only play that running back when the matchup is right. That's why you were playing Dwan Harris in week nine, because he was matched up against the New Orleans Saints who were giving up almost as many fantasy points per game to running backs as the San Francisco 49ers. But when Dwan Harris faces the Seattle Seahawks, you can't play him. You can't play him against the Arizona Cardinals. If you're a Carlos Hyde owner, I'm sorry. I'm sorry this happened to you. I'm sorry you drafted a running back who has never proven that he can sustain health for a full season and is the primary running back on one of the league's worst offenses. We were not drafting Todd Gurley and we were not drafting Carlos Hyde and we were not drafting Lamar Miller at their respective ADPs because they were in below average situations. They were trapped in bad offenses. Just stay away from the bad offenses and you'll be so much happier in fantasy football, playing fantasy football. It's that easy. Fantasy football doesn't have to be hard. It can be easy. Just stay away from the expensive players on bad offenses. It's an easy rule to follow. It's really simple. If you're going to pick up a player on a bad offense, pick up the free asset. Pick up Dwan Harris. Because I believe Dwan Harris is here to stay. Dwan Harris will cannibalize touches from Carlos Hyde moving forward. Carlos Hyde will never be a proper bell cow running back in the NFL ever again. Carlos Hyde was a bell cow for a game or two last year, and he was a bell cow for a handful of games this year, and it's over. 
Those days are over because Dwan Harris has arrived. Dwan Harris runs a 4-4-5-40, a 125.5 burst scores, 81st percentile. He also benches 225, 27 times, 94th percentile. He has a 131.2, 91st percentile Spark X score. Dwan Harris is an incredible athlete with a high BMI. I understand he's only 197 pounds, but at 5'7", that's a 30.9 BMI. That's 67th percentile. So he has a more durable body than Carlos Hyde, who's 30 pounds heavier, but also much taller. It's much easier for a defender to get a clean shot on Carlos Hyde than it is Dwan Harris. Just ask Carlos Hyde. You can visit Carlos Hyde and ask him at any moment. Just go to the San Francisco 49ers facilities, look for the trainer's room, walk in, and there you will find Carlos Hyde, and you can ask him face-to-face. You can also ask him if he's afraid of Dwan Harris. And if he's on truth serum, he'll say yes. Because how can you watch Dwan Harris last week and not be afraid for your job if you're Carlos Hyde? 142 yards and a touchdown, 24.2 fantasy points on only 15 touches. Mark Ingram and Dwan Harris were the most efficient running backs in the NFL last week. And it's not surprising because one was facing the other and their respective teams had the two worst run defenses by far and away. The running back position is incredibly situation dependent, not just for a full season, but week to week. It's been the ongoing through line theme of this show going all the way back to the summer. Opportunity and situation matters a lot more for running backs than other positions. It's why we were strongly recommending playing Dwan Harris in all formats last week. DFS, seasonal, deep league, shallow league, play Dwan Harris. I won four or five matchups, including the Scott Fishbowl week nine matchup because I played Dwan Harris. And I played Dwan Harris because I have playerprofiler.com. Playerprofiler.com exists to illuminate the quality of players like Dwan Harris. Not a college mega producer, but an incredible athlete airdropped into the best possible situation. And note the receptions. Five receptions on six targets. Even when Carlos Hyde returns, I believe the San Francisco 49ers will be giving Dwan Harris significant snaps in passing situations. And if you're not on the field in passing situations in the two-minute drill and the hurry-up offense... You can't be considered a bell cow. That's why Carlos Hyde's days as a bell cow are over.